0: Our scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. I believe it is found on page 884 of the Pew Bible and page 1134 of the following Jesus Bible. It is always good to pray extra. And as I'm getting ready to preach from this, would you pray with me both the reading and the hearing and the preaching of God's Word. Let's bow our heads one more time. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the grace that You are a God who speaks, who commands, who reveals. And we ask now that Your Spirit would illuminate Your Word Where our hearts are hard, You would reveal Your Gospel to make us more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. You would convict of sin. You would assure of salvation. You would give joy where there is pain. And everything that we do and say, we pray and as we listen, we pray that we would glorify You. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of God. Luke writes, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And they came to the place that is called the skull. There they crucified Him and the criminals, one on His right and one on His left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Son of God, his chosen ones. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At this time, if there are children that would like to go to children's church, now would be the time to go. It always feels like an undue proportion of the church leaves at children's church. They're so small, but they take up such grand space. And that is an absolute wonderful thing when children are crying when they leave worship. (laughs) You could not ask for a greater sound when people walk out of the sanctuary. Uh, Before we get to the text, I want to just say how much uh, we are thankful to be here at Faith and how much we appreciate Jason and the elders of this congregation uh, this truly is a beautiful and loving and kind and gracious congregation. And Jason loves each and every one of you so much. And to sit under his pastorate, to sit under uh, the nourishment of his teaching is, is invigorating. And so it is a, a privilege and a joy and it is humbling to stand uh, here today before you. Let us... Uh, now attend to uh, this text, God's word before us. Uh, Very simply, uh, this text of the two criminals on either side of Jesus as he's being uh, crucified and the conversations that they have are given to us uh, to help us understand why Jesus died. And what he offers us through his life and death. And there's three things that I'd like to look at today. Uh, there is the first man who says, you could say, the most natural thing. Uh, he says, the most natural thing for, for humanity to say in the context, in the situation that he finds himself. Uh, the second man, Uh, You could say the supernatural man says the most unnatural thing. Or he speaks words uh, that in and of himself really are impossible to say. And then uh, the last uh, bit of conversation that we need to look at is from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when he speaks, he reveals the greatest gift ever given that we can receive. So let's look at these three things. uh, The most natural, the most unnatural or impossible, and then the greatest gift to be given. So point one, uh, the natural man. And he speaks the most natural thing that could just flow out of your heart and out of your mouth. And interestingly, uh, it says in verse 39 that he railed at Jesus uh, for not getting everybody out of, of their suffering. And interesting, uh, this this railing comes out of an argument uh, that he's making and it matches uh, the religious rulers who scoffed and the soldiers who mocked Jesus Christ. And they are all communicating uh, that there's no way uh, that Jesus is God's Savior King. Uh, Because in their thinking, in their natural way of thinking, in their natural way of living in this world and operating in it, there's no way uh, that a Savior King uh, would be on a cross. There's no way uh, that you can exert power and strength and salvation uh, by dying on a cross. And so you could say, in other words, um, it is the most natural thing Uh, to say that the gospel of grace is stupid. That it makes absolutely no sense. It's it's incomprehensible in and of yourself. You could go so far to say, and and the Scriptures do say this, uh, that the gospel is offensive. uh, That it's insulting. That we would need a Savior, uh, to to die for us. And what you find is is in humanity's natural state, um, no one wants to agree with what the cross communicates. And that is, is that God is so holy that our sinful, distrusting rebellion is so bad God's so holy and we're so bad that our sins deserve and must be paid with, paid for uh, by death. No one likes that. Humanists, uh, whether humanists are liberal or humanists are conservatives, because they can be both, uh, they hate this idea uh, that humans can't do it on ourselves and we need someone to die for us. Uh, because humanists believe Uh, that we are inherently good and worthy and capable of taking care of ourselves and overcoming any obstacle, and we're just not that bad, and God's really not going to hold that much against us because we do so many great things. Uh, Religious folk, whether conservative or liberals as well, hate the gospel. Why? Why? Because liberal, uh, uh, religious folks, whether they're on the liberal spectrum or the conservative spectrum, all believe that they have done enough in their religious works and their church attendance and whatever they've done, they've done enough to obligate God to bless and they've done enough to obligate God to avoid any troubles that we may go in. And especially, no one wants salvation by grace. Why does no one want salvation by grace? Because if we are saved by grace, by the freedom of someone absolutely giving it and us not earning it whatsoever, then what that means is is we're obligated to the One from whom we receive it. If salvation is by grace alone, whoever it is that gives it to us, will be Lord over us completely. And we hate the idea of giving up our self-perceived autonomy. That we don't have what it takes or that we're not good enough or that God's going to hold something against us. And we hate it. And that's one of the reasons that you see the first man, he completely misses Jesus. And he does not trust Jesus. There's another reason why he does not trust Jesus and why he misses Jesus. It is because Jesus doesn't do this man's bidding. Jesus doesn't do what he wants. He does not answer the prayer that this man is throwing out there to Jesus. He doesn't answer the prayer the way he is sure it must be answered. And again, it's the most natural thing to say to God, God, I, I'm, I'm suffering terribly here. I'm in a bad spot. Things are really rough right now. I, I need you to come through. You, you do have all of the power. You do have all of the ability. What are you doing? Get me out of this. Come on. What are you, what are you restraining your power and your ability for? But the problem with this first criminal is that he makes his trust in Jesus Christ absolutely contingent. There's a big if there. I'll trust you if it's contingent upon Jesus doing His bidding. I mean, remember, he challenges Jesus. He says, Jesus, are you not... The Christ, that's a contingency. That's a big if. And he says, are you not the Christ? If so, then save us. Now, we all do this. Every one of us do this. What we do is, is instead of looking at the claims and the promises and the revelation of Jesus... Uh, and, And then confessing. Jesus, You are infinitely good and wise and powerful. I know You can get me out of this, but not my will. Thy will be done. I trust You. Instead, all we do and all we will focus on is instead of the glory of God, we focus in and we zero in on our own pain and our own needs. And if God is not answering our pain and our needs in our timing in the way that we are sure it must be answered, then we conclude that He uh, doesn't want to or that He can't or for some moral reason maybe He just won't. And He's not going to come through for us. And what you see with the second man or the first man, and, and we all do this, is we don't trust because He won't do what we command Him to do for us. And so we're holding back. We're going to hurt God. We're angry with Him. And what we're doing is we're flipping the relationship. We we make God our subject and ourselves God's Lord. And so what happens is, is when we get in this situation, when we're zeroed in more on on ourselves instead of on the promises and the wisdom and the sovereignty of God, Uh, we don't repent. And we don't trust. And we don't rest in Him. And we miss for that all of the comfort and salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so it's a natural thing to say, to, to react and to speak as the first man. Uh, but it's very easy to, to miss Jesus Christ uh, if you're coming to Him with that sort of, of mindset. That's point one. Uh, the second point is, is we see, a you could say, a very unnatural word spoken. An in, you could say an even impossible word spoken from the second criminal. And I say it's unnatural or impossible because... It is for us to say what he's we're going to see that he says on our own it is only possible to speak like the second criminal if by God's Holy Spirit he enters into our hearts and graciously regenerates us uh, takes us from being dead in unbelief to being alive by faith in Jesus Christ and and when the spirit, of our Lord and Savior, when the Spirit of the Father, when the Holy Spirit does regenerate us, then what you see is, and what happens, and what you experience is, is, as we begin to encounter Jesus as He truly is, with our eyes finally open, because of the Spirit's work, the Spirit of Christ's work in us, what happens is, is we begin to realize the actuality of, of, of the situation. The real situation. And we actually begin to see how our hearts are actually working in relation to ourselves, to each other, but more importantly, and especially how our hearts relate to God through Jesus Christ. And what we have here with the second criminal is it's a picture of salvation. It's it's a picture of the workings of salvation. Um, Notice... The, the second criminal, he doesn't say, uh, I need a change in my circumstances. He doesn't say, I, I have to get off the cross. Jesus, you have to change the, the circumstances and the situation that I find myself in. He says, actually, he communicates, I can deal with these circumstances. I can deal with the situation that I'm in and he, he does have a contingency. He does have an if. But what is the if now? What is the contingency now? I can, I can stay hanging on the cross if I have you, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The, 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 the contingency of his life, the if of all his desires, uh, is now pointing to Jesus. Uh, you can you can really it's a good test here. And I've spoken about this many times. Whatever the if is in your life is pointing to your real Savior. I'll I'll trust you. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll I'll walk with you if you give me blank. If I have blank. If if blank happens, that's your real God. That's your true Savior. That's what you really are are depending on and trusting in. And the picture of salvation is is when that if falls away to anything other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what you hear the second criminal confessing is is, 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 he's he's confessing to Jesus, "I, I need a change in my heart's desires in in my heart's trust and what i'm resting in i need a, I need a change in where my faith is is finding itself and it needs to be in you jesus if i have you no matter what i'm going through i will be all right and what luke's giving us here is that's the definition of salvation that is the picture of salvation that it is Jesus plus nothing else. That Jesus minus everything, minus wealth, minus health, minus anything, family, minus anything, Jesus minus all that stuff is still everything. If I have Jesus, everything is going to be fine and I can go through anything that my Lord wills that I go through. And you, you see, what's, what's going on is, is God, Jesus is, is no longer to the second man a means to an end. What was the end for the first guy? Physical life. Get me off this cross. I don't want to die on the cross. The most important thing to me is that I don't die. That physical life, my health, that's that's the end. The second criminal says, I can die. I can go through death. I can stay on this cross and slowly suffocate and have my legs broken if I have you, Jesus. And the picture of salvation that the second man is showing us, the second criminal is, salvation is now Jesus and the Father through Jesus is the goal. He is, as Paul says in that great doxology in the 11th chapter of Romans, the second man has gotten to the place where he realizes God is the source, the sustainer, and the goal of all things. Now, there's a second unnatural thing that the second criminal says that's very important that we have to get to or else we will never get to salvation as well. And it's only possible to say this, to believe this, to experience this uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit as well. And, and that is where he says, uh, he rebukes the first criminal. And he says, he says to him, he says, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. Now, uh, this, these, both of these criminals here Criminal is a tough translation uh, because it it doesn't do justice to the overall picture. The other Gospels refer to the criminals on either side of Jesus and Barabbas, who Jesus is taking his place, as insurrectionists, uh, insurrectionists against Rome. In other words, they are Jewish freedom fighters. Uh, that these are men who are trying to kick out of the Jewish promised land these foreign Gentile invaders. They're trying to take possession like the time of Joshua. Uh, They're trying to take possession of the promised land. And so when this insurrectionist, this freedom fighter, says we're receiving the, the, the due reward of our deeds there is no way, shape, or form that he is referring to the Roman justice, uh, the cross uh, that uh, is being carried out on him. There's no way he's saying, you know, I, I deserve to, to die on a Roman cross. He, he's, that's not what he's referring to. He's gotten into the presence of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has regenerated his heart. And in the presence of Jesus, he gets beyond... All that. The Roman issue. The, the Jewish uh, promised land issue. He gets beyond what all that. and he, he says, let's not talk about getting out of the situation anymore. He, he's saying, I acknowledge that because of my sins, because of what I've done throughout this life, because of how I've related to God and how I've related to other people, I deserve to be abandoned by God. I deserve to die. And so you see, what happens is when he gets in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he gets into the presence of of the Holy and Gracious One incarnate Jesus Christ, what happens is he comes to the conviction, to the realization by the work of the Holy Spirit is is that he now knows and realizes God owes me nothing. Nothing. I don't. I'm not obligated to get anything from God. He doesn't owe me anything. So what does he say? He doesn't just end there. He doesn't just say, "Well, you know, to hell with me." He turns and he asks Jesus, "What? Jesus, remember me. Remember me." He he in in, in the the realization that God owes him nothing, that Jesus owes him nothing, he's asking for God's mercy. He has no right to demand anything as the first criminal thinks he has. And you see, what Luke is teaching us and what Jesus is teaching us here is that no one can receive, no one can be united, no one can have Jesus' salvation unless you get there too. You have to have that posture before the throne of God. In the presence of God, you have to get there too. You have to realize that any blessing from God is only by mercy. It's only by God's grace alone. Nothing good I've done. It is actually despite all the good deeds that I've tried to do, which I've actually done in order to obligate God to use Him to bless me. And that's the hardest thing to admit, isn't it? I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. All I do deserve is the wrath of God. Because I've been manipulating and trying to obligate God And trying to hide from the reality of who I actually am. It's absolutely impossible to say. And yet, what Luke is teaching us here is it is absolutely necessary if you're going to receive the greatest gift, which is salvation alone. Which leads to the third point in Jesus revealing to us what the greatest gift alone is. And so Jesus brings a third word, and He reveals to us the greatest gift. In verse 43, Jesus responds to the second criminal's repentance, to his confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and He says to him, He says, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, most people, and we've heard this over and over again throughout our lives, most people's minds go to awesome. That means after I die, I'll be with Jesus in heaven. Awesome. And yes, it, that is absolutely true. It does mean that, but there's so much more that it means, and there's so much more that Jesus is offering here, Jesus, what he's communicating here, uh, more than us just being in paradise after death, he is saying that as a result of your faith and trust and your repentance, your faith in me, you will be with me. Now, Jesus is not just speaking of spatial proximity uh, here after death. What Jesus is saying when he says, you'll be with me. He's speaking of a legal spiritual reality that is true of every believer in Him right now. Jesus, when He says, you will be with Me, He's speaking of a believer's spiritual union or our oneness by the Holy Spirit that we currently and presently have right now with Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of texts from the New Testament that, that get this thought to us. Ephesians 1.3, the Apostle Paul, who's a traveling companion uh, with, with Luke, who wrote our text today. Uh, he says there, he says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then Paul goes on in the following verses and he he reveals some of these spiritual blessings. He says that in Jesus, uh, because we are in Jesus, we are presently holy. We are presently blameless. We are presently redeemed. We are presently forgiven. We are presently loved and adopted all through and in Jesus Christ. And see, what he's communicating is is that everything that Jesus did in His earthly ministry, His life and His death, His trusting, Jesus' perfect trusting of the Father, His perfect love of the Father, His perfect obedience in, in loving others, His perfect obedience of the Father was why? So that we would be united to Him through faith. So that when the Father looks at believers in Jesus Christ right now, He sees us not as individuals trying to get our act together, trying to get our our morals straight, not trying to get our religion in order, but He sees us with Jesus. Jesus. And that means that when the Father looks at us and we are with, we are in Jesus, that all of the merits, all of the accomplishments, all of the trust, all of the loves, all of the obediences of Jesus are now ours. They are imputed to us. They are attributed to us. They are ours in Jesus Christ. That's what salvation means. Let me give you one more. Paul says in... Colossians 3, he says, you have been raised. What? You already have been raised with Christ. You already are seated at the right hand of God. And Paul goes on and he says, your life is now hidden, where? With Christ. All of these actions are past tense. These are all actions done by the Father in Jesus Christ, and they are now currently present realities for the believers. That's our current position, our current standing before God the Father. We are with Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, yes, you'll get to heaven because Of who I am and what I've done? Yes, but even greater. To everyone who repents of their sin and believes in Me, whether or not you die today, you are with Me where I am. Already. That's the present reality. And where is Jesus? He is exalted in His Father's glorious presence. And Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross is, because you're with Me, you too are in My Father's glorious presence. That's your standing right now. My Father sees you as He sees Me with all the delight, with all the joy, with all the celebration. Why? Because by faith you are with Jesus. You see what Jesus is trying to communicate? He's saying, I came down so you could go up. I took what you deserve so you could have what I earned. He did what we didn't do, what we should have done so that we could have all of His righteousness. Righteousness. Why? So that we could be completely with Him. And it's only by grace. There's no ifs. It's not us. It's not our doing. It's all by Jesus. If you hold anything up and you say, I deserve, I have rights, I've worked so hard for you so long. I've done so much for you. You have to. You must, God. You must come through for me. You're absolutely missing them. So you have to check your anger and your resentment and all that stuff. Where's it coming from? Who here's dealing with, with anger and resentment? That's the first criminal. The second criminal is the one that says, I'm getting my just deserts. Turn your eyes to Jesus alone. As well, one other thing you can see at this passage very quickly is, is if you think you're too far gone, you think you're too sinful, wrong. I mean, look at this text. The guy is seconds from dying. I mean, look at the second guy. Look, look, as well, think about this. Moments before in, in Matthew 27, it says that both of the criminals... Were cussing Jesus, they were both cursing him. What happens? Luke kind of gives us the picture. He hears Jesus say, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Can you imagine cussing Jesus out? That's how he responds. And what does it do? He hears the word of God, the word of grace. The Spirit works in his heart. And he knows that by Jesus all his sins are covered and he has the righteousness of Christ. And he repents and confesses. And Jesus says, you are with me. I have you. Brothers and sisters, trust Him. Believe in Him. And live your life in the reality that He says you are righteous and you are holy not because of your doing, but because of Him. Because you are in him, you are righteous and you are holy. Jesus proves this over and over again. And the second criminal is the evidence of it. Let's pray.